Well, good evening, and welcome to Meet the Artist Interviews. I'm your host, Charles Chip McNeil. I'm the Director of Education for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. And I am pleased to be with you here this Friday, March 22nd, 2013, and we are recording from the San Francisco War Memorial Opera House. And I welcome all those guests who are here presently with us and all those who will eventually listen online. You can always hear these podcasts and learn more about San Francisco Ballet behind the scenes by going to sfballet.org. Well, tonight, we will enjoy program five and the ballet on Jägen. This ballet explores the dynamics and the complications of human relationship. Love, friendship, honor, betrayal. And that's just in the first scene. <laughs> the choreography is by John Cranko and the music by Peter Tchaikovsky. Well, joining me for tonight's salon talk is Ricardo Bustamante, former premier danseur and now ballet master and assistant to Mr. Thomason. Please welcome Ricardo Bustamante. Good evening. As well, we have a wonderful, celebrated guest who has an incredible stories about this production and about her work with Cranko's Ballets. Please welcome Jane Bourne, choreologist. So, if you're like me, you just heard the word choreologist for the first time, but maybe, maybe you know this word. But no, nevertheless, I have been really interested in some of the vocabulary this season that we've been, that we work with in our business. So, um, I thought choreologist was a word that was just another kind of fancy European word for a person who sets ballets. So, I know that other people have that same uh, misunderstanding, but it's really much more than that, and it's very specific. So, Jane, why don't you fill us in? Tell you what choreology is. Thank you. Choreology is the study of movement. It's a, uh, a word that was made up by Mr. Rudolf Benesch, who created the, invented the system that I learned. And, uh, and, it, and he made up the word because he felt that that's what he was doing. He was creating a language with, a, with an alphabet by which you could uh, write down any kind of movement. It's most specifically and usually used in dance. Wonderful. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, it's only, um, it's nothing really creative in it. It's just you write down what you see, what the choreographer creates, you write it down on paper, in, in, on a musical stave, a bit bigger than a normal musical stave, um, in bars which correspond to the music to which it's performed, and it's a series of dots and dashes which mean movements and positions of the body, uh, rather like music does, their dots and dashes mean sounds and lengths of, and rhythms and so on. This is the, uh, the same thing but to apply to m uh, movement. This, this is very interesting because uh, it's a, so it's a codified language that is very established. You know, our ordinary language changes over time. We add new words. Does this language, is it static or does it change and evolve? No, it evolves. Yeah. It evolves. It can, you can write anything down because you've got an alphabet. Mm -hmm. So like, just the same as you could make up any word, you can write down any movement. They might be quite difficult to read back, but you can actually write them down. Now, you can do things like this, but you know, you can do it. So if you write something down, can Ricardo read it? No, he isn't trained at all. Oh, he's not trained. 
Okay. But if he'd learned the notation, okay. he would be able to. Okay. Yes, he would. So this brings up another word which I think is often misunderstood, and that is repetiteur. How is that different than a choreologist, or is it different? Well, it's a posh French word, isn't it? It is French. <laughs> well, um, Jane does the part of recording and notating and creating a kind of a Bible for the ballet at hand. And my job is to learn exactly as she has taught and to preserve the work mm. uh, with no counts missing and no expression to be left out. Um, Needless to say, the steps need to remain with the same um, timing and shape and form. The expression can change. So I cross the bridge, perhaps from what I have learned and sticking precisely to what she has taught me and to guide the dancers to find the expression within the work that we're doing. Wonderful. So we have the choreologist and the ballet master. So tell me about your relationship. I mean, not your personal relationship, your, your creative relationship is what I mean. So it's not just you. There's more than one ballet master for a ballet as, as large as this. Isn't that correct? Yes, yes. there is. In this ballet, um, Jane has Betsy Erickson, who is in charge of the choral ballet, um, Katita Waldo, who is in charge of, of the soloist and principals, and so is Anita Pachotti and myself. Wonderful, that is quite a, a large crew. So together you help to recreate the vision that she staged when, long after her departure, when we that is correct. put it on the stage. So Jane, now you travel all over the world and I would suspect that you set this ballet and other Krenko ballets on a regular basis, is that correct? Yes, it is. Yes, how many other Krenko ballets are in your repertoire? I do this one and The Taming of the Shrew and Romeo and Juliet. Those are the ones that I do most often. There's one or two smaller ones, Jeux de Cartes and Brouillard, one-act ballets, but the companies mainly want the full-length story ballets. The three-story the three story ballets. So now, this is a big question. Do you, now you've set this ballet a number of times on Jägen. Do you know how many times you have set this ballet in your lifetime? No. I do. <laughs> I do. I have people who research this. <laughs> do you know that you have set the ballet? Now, this is, I, I could be off by one or two. I will give myself that. But do you know that you have set this ballet approximately 30 times in 40 years? 30 times to recreate this ballet. Yes, that's an amazing body of work. Thank you. You deserve that. That's an amazing body of work. Thank you. <laughs> now, how many times have you set this ballet in a row? Like, literally went from one, uh, setting the ballet with one company to another. How many times in a row? This one is the ninth in a row. Nine. Yeah. Nine times. Yeah. And can you mention the nine companies you've been to yes. in the past <laughs> year? Well, one of them was here, of course. Okay. Last time. So it started in Paris, and then I came here, and then I went to New York. And then I went to Australia, and then um, Rio, and then Tokyo, and then Hamburg, London, and then back here. Oh that's, that's a life on the road. That's a life. So now, 
with all due respect to Mr. Banesh, after setting a ballet this many times, do you have to look at notes or do you just know it? I know it. You know it. The notes are there just in case you have a slow day or something, yeah. In case they ask a question that I've never been asked before and that happens <laughs> everywhere I go. Right. They but, ask me something I don't uh, know. <laughs> but you can do the whole thing from start to finish pretty much without, pretty much. without referring <laughs> it to a note. That's amazing. Ricardo, you know, I have a, a question for you because in Onyegin, we have this incredibly rich narrative, but what also propels this ballet forward is the action and emotionally is the music. And I know that's something that really is important to you in your work. How, how would you describe the, the importance of the music in this ballet? Well, um... <laughs> You've got the tricky one then. That is. That is. I, I just tell you what inspires me. Yeah. Um, I find the music absolutely stunning. Um, Tchaikovsky being by far my favorite ballet composer. And um, in this work, there are a series of wonderful, wonderful movements, mazurkas and polonaise. And in the narrative, I couldn't imagine a, a more beautiful music to go along the action that, that is, you know, when the story is being told, how perfectly chosen and how how beautifully choreographed is to each note with breads and with time for the eye to appreciate what is going from one side to the stage to the other and from one scene to the other and the build-up and the emotion that is, you know, that is in the music and the choreography is just, it's just, I mean, all every time I watch it. Wonderful. The music is perfect. Well, for those of you new to the story, Onyegin, uh, it first had its life as the Alexander Pushkin novel, Eugene Onyegin, and now, and then came the opera in uh, 1879, and then Krenko created a dance composition after choreographing some of the bits in the, in the opera, he choreographed his full uh, composition in 1967 for Stuttgart. So this ballet has endured, and it's so poignant, it's so meaningful, it's so full of drama. Tell me what makes a ballet like this stand the test of time. What makes it such a seminal, full-length work? Well, I think it's because um, it, uh, it is um, choreographically very, very precise. Mm. It's, and it's very clever. It's got some very clever tricks in it to, to make it work as a ballet, as a visual piece of art. Um, but like I was explaining about how the, the uh, notation score is rather like a music score, in the same way it can't um, record in a, any kind of scientific way, just the same as music can't, any kind of emotion. Words have to accompany um, music scores, Largo and, and Dante and Allegro and all those sorts of things, and Conspirito, and, oh, I've forgotten them all. But, but all those things, we do similar things, but I think it's because um, dancers are allowed to find their own gestures and their own ways of doing the steps within the parameter of the choreography. And I think that's why it stays uh, looking modern and, and living. It's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But also it's genius, that too. This is a ballet that's much more than dancing. It is dancing, it is acting, it is theater on the grandest scale. How does 
the dancer prepare for a dramatic role with this kind of uh, necessity of, of character development? There is an architecture form to it. Um, what we learn from Jane, of course, is not just um, how to do the steps, but mm. um, the, the preparation. I couldn't have, you know, wish for someone better to show us the, the how to get there. Um, in the way Jane has staged it, uh, the choreologist part of the ballet it's bringing the, the true value of the work and, and not to, to lose the essence and, the, and, and what was originally intended with the, with the work. But far past that, on the, on the weeks that we've spent with Jane, you know, she has endured in developing everybody, everybody's um, technical ability, uh, building it up and knowing how many hours it requires to achieve a pas de deux, a lift, a variation, a scene that will make sense and how many times you need to repeat it and, and she knows how to make it happen and put you through, through hours and hours and hours or maybe not so many hours until you know, she is satisfied to see that you know, this would be how it should be interpreted and this is how it should be danced. And I, I kind of had to disagree now a little bit with you, Jane, saying that, that the, the dancers have so much freedom. Not really. <laughs> the minute you try to do, you try to do, to do three, uh, three days ago, we had a technical rehearsal, and one of the dancers decided to do this expression, which means beautiful in, um, you know, in our ballet pantomime. And Jane had you me see, write the note. You see, that's old fashioned. <laughs> and you had me write the note that expression, I don't like that. Do you like that? No, that doesn't go there. <laughs> so, <laughs> we had to go backstage and have a talk about this doesn't belong there. It was mm -hmm. not what it was choreographed. It was not what it was intended. Mm -hmm. so, but there are things that they do that I just, I think that's, that it's fine, mm -hmm. that I haven't told them to do. Right. There are other things. Right. But they so, don't all do the same. Yeah, but they have, you, you let them make, take measured, uh, uh, you know, diversions yes. from the choreography. Yeah. I mean, it's very. Uh, take, not, take, not from the choreography. Not ah. from the choreography, exactly. From like the, take Oniegan, you know, somebody might, ha might want to play like a real bastard. Um, or somebody might be somebody just very elegant and cold and just maybe doesn't feel or understand, you know, what he's about, you know. Um, you have freedom, you know, to, to sort of have your own interpretation. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with choreologist Jane Bourne and ballet master Ricardo Bustamante. As we're talking about dancing and the theat theatrical elements that go into it, you can, I'm sure you've worked with some great artists, not only those here at San Francisco Ballet, but many uh, uh, in your time. And uh, Marcia Hede comes to mind, and she was well known as one of the great actresses, dance actresses of her generation. Born in Brazil, she uh, danced in many Cranco ballets, in fact, the three foldings we spoke of already. And she later became the uh, artistic director of Stuttgart Ballet for about 20 years, from 76 to 95. So did you work with her, and how would you describe her approach to this work? Mm. She created the role of Tatiana. Ah. Um, so. Um, I just tried to just soak up as much as I could from her of how it should be. Um, when I said, mentioned earlier that I was in Rio last summer, I did see her there and 
the same thing applies, even after 30 years. Mm. It's great to listen to her, because she created the role and she remembers. And um, she was always lovely to work with, but I didn't actually have to work with her on this. Okay. She already knew it. <laughs> she already had her way, yeah. But I learned, I learned from her, rather than the other way around. And I tried to pass that on. Wonderful. You know, I, I'm, as you were speaking, I, I'm reminded of, you know, certain roles that, that actresses play or actors and the same thing for leading roles in ballets. And is, I wonder, if, would this be one of those ballets that the more mature and more seasoned you are, the more you can bring to the character? Or is it really just about theater? Well, um, the principles and everybody in the ballet is very carefully chosen. Um, Jane would be one to answer this question, uh, but I can tell you that it is one, one ballet in which um, you can go through a lifetime as a dancer hoping that a role like this will come about. And it is fortunate for the company to engage and to, you know, to bring Oniegan into this theater. Uh, not only because it's a masterwork, but, it but also because it feels good to dance. It feels, it feels, it's a realization of, you feel ach well achieved. I mean, it is so extra extraordinarily difficult. I've never experienced more difficult partnering, dancing with somebody else, yet it is um, pure poetry and, and, and if it's done correctly, it, it's full, it's all expression beneath all this um, our technique. So everybody just, you know, we just love to dance and the company loves to do it. And no matter what company in the world does it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a masterwork and it's fortunate to have it. Now I want to give the audience a chance to, to ask questions, but I want to have one last question and that is, do you choose the, the dancers in the ballet and, and how do you do that? And have you ever made a choice and then regretted it or changed your mind? Um, I don't usually do the casting. My boss, Reed Anderson, does. Um, I, it's not a job I like to do. I have done it in the past. It's not something I enjoy. And, uh, and yes, mistakes have been made, and that's very tricky. But, you know, there, there's a handful out of years and hundreds of productions, it's not many. He has a fantastic eye. He can see um, sort of behind a, see behind the dancer to see what they can do. He has that ability, he's very good. Um, what you have to do if you have to take somebody out of a, a role, that's very sad and very difficult. Yeah, it's really yeah. a shame. Reed Anderson is currently the artistic director at the Stuttgart Ballet and was artistic director in um, the National Ballet of Canada for 10? Seven years. 89 to 96, I think. So, I am so excited. This has been an amazing conversation. I have learned so much in just my short time, but I want to give you a chance to ask some questions. So if you have a question for either Mr. Bustamante or Ms. Bourne, please let me know. Yes. The young woman right here. Yes, on the edge. Oh, 
Okay, so yes. the question is, did Reed Anderson come here to San Francisco Ballet and cast the dancers from, from our company? Yes, he did, last year. And he does that everywhere. Does it everywhere? Uh, you go, yeah. Okay. Um, yes. Yes. Miss, Miss Bourne uh, mentioned that there are some tricks in the choreography, and I think we use that rather broadly, but can you give them some, a couple of examples and something to look for? I was referring, actually, at that time, tricks isn't a good word. Um, the, the, of course, there are tricks in, involved in actually working out how to perform the actual lifts, but what I was talking about then was the, the way that Mr. Cranko was able to portray what Tatiana was writing in her letter to Onyegin, which of course you read in the book. We can't read it on the stage, so he turned it into a dream. She goes to sleep and dreams what she, what she says to him, and it's very explicit and very clever. That, that was what I was referring to. Uh, let's just stay with that for a moment. So that's a pretty seminal scene, and when you said trick, what you really meant was a theatrical uh, invention that yes. helps to unpack this, this, uh, this book. And why is that moment important in the ballet? And, or is it? The whole ballet hinges on that letter, really. Mm. So yes, it is important. She sends the letter, he, he just thinks it's, you know, girlish fantasy. He's not interested in her at all. And he wanders the world searching for the meaning of life. And when he finally gets back and sees her again, he realizes that, that she, she was in fact the one. So that letter is actually uh, crucial. <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead. So, um, we have an interesting question about the comparing and contrasting two notation systems. One is Benesh, and the other being Laban. Did you want to comment on that? Well, I learned Benesh, and I didn't learn Laban, so I, I can't really say much. But I think that Benesh is more visual. You see it on the page. You can join the dots, if you like, and make even stick figures out of it. It's more visual, and it's more practical, I think. The Laban is much more detailed and much more intense, mm. so far as I know. <laughs> right. Yes? I was wondering, now that video is A very good question. Um, we, from time to time, understand that video is used to recreate uh, productions. However, you know, as a choreologist, do you rely on that, or is there an intersection between how you use video and the notation? I don't use video when I'm staging the piece. When I'm teaching the piece, I prefer to teach. The problem with video always is it's a recording of one performance. And mm -hmm. first of all, if dancers try to learn from a video, they're copying somebody else's interpretation, and I would really rather they found, found their own. And um, of course, mistakes are made, and they become choreography then. So you need to have um, the correct steps um, in place. And then I think it's good to show dancers, any dancers who want to see any kind of recording of 
and, and there's no point in objecting to it because they can see them all on YouTube anyway. So, you know, you just got to go with the flow and let them see. But I try to, try to uh, let it be after they've actually learned the choreography themselves. Yes. Oh, great question. The question is about the term mazurka, both musically and dance-wise. How would you describe a mazurka? Well, it's exciting because it's all in threes, so there's not much time to make any mistake, mistakes. Um, uh, Kranko does gorgeous mazurkas. You will, you will know the patterns, and um, they're, they're courtly dances, um, so um, they have a sense of elegance to it, and you, must, you mustn't um, be too physical when you dance a mazurka, although it requires a lot of um, energy, uh, because you are in plie most of the time, brushing one leg and doing back and, f and, f and forth and changing patterns all the time. So that in itself is hard rhythmically to keep up with, much less to keep formations and shapes that, you know, that vary. So, um, but it's great fun to dance, you know, it's energetic and it's beautiful and um, once you get it, but to put it together and have everybody make it work, it, it's a little bit of a nightmare. It's the second dance in the second act, if you're going to watch. That's where our mazurka is. Okay, that's a what to look for moment. Say it, which, second dance? Second dance in the second act. That's a mazurka? Yes. Okay. The first one is a waltz, the second one is a mazurka, and the third one is a polka. There will be a test. <laughs> now, I have time for one more question from the audience before we wrap up. These times go by so quickly. Yes, sir. So the, quest the question is, how long have you been uh, in San Francisco setting the ballet on this occasion? I've been here two weeks, I think. Just n two and a half weeks. Okay. I will have been here three weeks. I'm staying through the weekend. Um, because this time, the staff put the ballet back together. Um, very ably, I have to say. Very capably. <laughs> put the ballet back together again, so I just had to rehearse it, coach it. Wonderful. As we look to wrap up our time together today, I'm going to ask each of them for a final comment on either Kranko, Tchaikovsky, the ballet on Yegen, this whole experience in setting the ballet. Ricardo, what are your final thoughts? Well, what I really adore about uh, Kranko ballets is unlike, saying Swan Lake, which has hundreds of years uh, of reputation and so many fantastic artists have performed it and so many versions have been reproduced. The Ballet Onegin remains as a original and a jewel within the classical rep, and it is to be performed in one way. So in a, in a way, I, you get the feeling that what you're about to witness is entirely what Kranko created, is the, is the vision and invention of, of one single man with an enormous passion, with enormous um, ability to make sense of every little nuance of the work. You're going to have a good time. Wow. You know, as I was preparing for this interview, Jane, I am remembering that you told me that you did not work directly with Cranko. And yet, I am also noticing that who could know his work more intimately, 
his aesthetic, his creative uh, eye than you. So what, what final thoughts or words do you have for us? Well, I was thinking about John Percival's book, which I read uh, about John Cranko. Um, it's not in print anymore, but it's, uh, it's, it's a nice book. It's a good book. And in that, he quotes Mr. Cranko as having said, I'm not one of those choreographers that wants to create a piece that, you know, only three people in the audience will understand, but everyone will go away thinking it's marvelous because they didn't understand it. I want, I want people to come to the theater and have a good time. I want people to enjoy themselves. So um, that's my final wish for you. I hope you have a great time. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it moves you and um, come again soon. This has been a lovely chat. Thank my guests, Ricardo and Jane. Enjoy the ballet on Yegan. Good night.